open up your Bible with me to Daniel chapter 9 this morning. Daniel chapter 9 is where we're going to be. And um, today we're going, to, we're going to look at the life of Daniel again. And we're going to see what do we do when life hurts. What do we do when life hurts? Because sometimes it does. Sometimes things come our way that we don't want to come our way. And quite honestly, it hurts. And at times it stinks. And what do we do? What do we do? Last week we saw from the life of Daniel the idea of glancing at the circumstances around us and gazing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Glancing at what goes on around us and gazing on Christ. Well, today as we turn to Daniel chapter 9, what we're going to look at is, so what was going on in Daniel's heart as he gazed at the Lord Jesus Christ? We said that he did. He looked at the Lord Jesus and and didn't get distracted by the things around him. He gazed on the Lord Jesus Christ. So what's going through his mind? What's going through his heart? We're going to see that today when we look at the prayer of Daniel. That's our intent today. I told you, life sometimes hurts. And if you've been around this world at all, you know that a lot of times the emotional and the relational hurts are, are more impacting than the physical ones. That's just the reality. But it's not much fun to talk about emotional hurts and relational hurts. But I like talking about physical hurts. Let me tell you a story, okay? I, I used to be really good at one thing when I was a kid. I was one thing I was really good at, and that was getting stitches. I mean, I, just, I was able to just, I don't know what it was. I was able to find the accidents, okay, that would, that would harm my body in such a way that I would have to go to a doctor and have to stitch me up. And so if if I was willing to pull up my pants legs, I mean hundreds of stitches have entered my body, okay? Just, you know, wounds here, wounds there. It's just just happened over and over and over. But there was one in particular that ended my love relationship with stitches. My doctor's in the room. He'll appreciate this story, I'm sure, because he knows what I'm getting ready to tell you. And that is that stitches in the lip are particularly tough. Anybody ever had an injury to a lip? Okay? Oh, there's a few of us. Yeah. All right. This is what happened. I'm riding my bike one day, okay, down a hill, and I'm going really, really hard. And I was probably about 10 years old. I'm not going to keep doing this because I'll get tired, all right? But I'm riding, down, I'm riding down this huge hill on my bike through the woods now. We'd made this awesome path. You would have loved it, okay? You know, you zip down through the woods. It was so cool. You turn around and push your bike up back to the top and ride down again. But I had this little habit. I still do it once in a while. You might see me. Okay? Give me one of my little secrets. I had this little habit that I would do, and my, my parents would warn me not to do this, but I just kept doing it. I'd be playing basketball, or I'd be playing out in the yard, hide and seek or something, or even riding my bike, and I'd do this. Watch my face, okay? I'd go, I'd bite on my bottom lip. I'd just sort of like, you know, ride my bike, and I'd get nervous, and I'd chew down on my bottom lip. It was just this bad habit that I developed until this fateful day. Then I learned. What happened was, I, I'm riding down the hill, okay, through the, through the mountains, okay, you know, branches going everywhere and trees and bears. That's an exaggeration, but you get the idea, okay? But no exaggeration as I went down another path that was a barbed wire fence, okay? Now, if you don't know what that is, it's three strands of barbed wire, okay? Fortunately, potentially, the first two were gone. All that was left was the bottom one, and I didn't know that. 
Okay? Remember those old Nazi movies where they would stretch that line across the road and a guy would ride down the road in a motorcycle and they'd hit that line and boom, up with... Well, that didn't happen to me. Okay, that's not what happened. But as I'm riding down this mountain face on my bike, my front tire hits that barbed wire and stops. But Lowell didn't. You don't stop like that. See, there's no seat belt. There's, there's nothing, no airbag on a bicycle, for those that didn't know that. And what happened was I go careening over the top of the handlebars, okay? I mean, you know, I'm flying through the air, and, and I'm nervous now because, you know, I'm, I'm in an accident. And, and what do I do when I'm nervous? Go ahead, do it. I want everybody to do this. Mm, okay? Bite on your lip. I was doing that too, and I landed smack dab on top of my head. You've heard of the Red Sea, right? Have you heard of the pardon of the Red Sea? My lip that day parted. Here's my lip. It was laying wide open. Oh, yeah, I know. Feel the pain. Feel the pain. Oh. So I go, you know, blood everywhere. I mean, it was bad. They stitched. I'll show you the scar sometime. I got stitches on the inside, stitches on the outside, stitches inside, okay? 60 stitches, I was told, you know, some on the outside, all over the place. Now, as bad as that was, I wish you could have seen me two or three days later. Because when the lip is injured, I think, and when they give you Novocaine and all that kind of stuff, this magical thing happens to the lip. You know what happens? It swells up so big. My bottom lip was so large that I could, and I've got a long tongue, and I could not reach the end of my lip with my tongue. It was horrible. Uh, I've told you too many details already, but I want to end this and get out of this story because the pain is coming back. But you know something? Here's why I tell you all that story. We can laugh about physical hurts. I mean, now. It's like 30 years ago, right? We can laugh. Actually, it's more than that. But we can laugh about that. But in reality, every single one of us, myself included, we could walk you up here, we could hand you a mic, and we could say, tell us an emotional, painful story of your life. Tell us a time when somebody did you wrong and it hurt you greatly. Tell us about a time when your hope was crushed. When the thing you were relying upon let you down. Tell us about it. And every single one of us could tell heart-breaking stories. Every one of us. It's just the nature of life, folks. It's the nature of life that we live in a sin-cursed world. We hurt one another. We grow disappointed with things. It happens. That's the nature of our life on this earth. But listen to the nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. The nature of the Lord Jesus Christ is to come alongside and encourage, to be our helper. That His Spirit comes in and dwells us. And He calls Him our comforter. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm not going to take off and leave you all by yourself. I'm not going to do that. When I go, I will send the Helper, the Comforter, and He will come and indwell you. This is the comfort that God brings us. It is the comfort that God offers you today. That you can know the God of the universe. And you can gaze on Him regardless of what comes your way. You can glance at the things around and gaze at the Lord Jesus Christ as Daniel did. 
Are you there yet? We're in Daniel. We're in Daniel chapter 9. Okay, I didn't turn there, but you did. Let's look at it here, and, and some of it will sound familiar. Some of it will be brand new. But my hope is that we will see that God desires to work in us and through us. And He does it as He comforts us. Verse number 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Asherus, by descent of Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel... Now, let me just stop there for just a minute. If you turn back three pages to Daniel chapter 6, you will see what is going on in Daniel's life. There has been a change in administration. You see, there's not really been an election. That isn't what happened. No, there's been the overthrow of a government. We see at the end of Daniel chapter 5 and the beginning of Daniel chapter 6. At the end of Daniel chapter 5, it says, That very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean king, this is the king of the Babylons, of Babylonia that is, he was killed. And Darius the the Mede received the kingdom, who was about 62 years old. Verse number 1, it pleased for Darius, it pleased him to set over the kingdom 120 leaders. And so what we're seeing in Daniel chapter 9, you can go back there. What we're seeing in Daniel chapter 9 is now we're seeing through the window of Daniel's heart into his soul what is going on that day he was thrown into the lion's den. Daniel chapter 6 is the story of Daniel and the lion's den. Now that's all about about Daniel, that's all about the lions. But Daniel chapter 9, same time, but now the story isn't about Daniel and the lions. The story is about Daniel and his God. And what is going on in his heart as he is walking through this difficult journey that landed him in a den of lions. God protected him. Praise God. God delivered him. God doesn't always do that, but he did in this case. But what we need to see here today, I, I hope, is that in the midst of, of this world that opposes God, we can live for God's kingdom. We can live for God's kingdom in a world that doesn't. In a world that doesn't live for God's kingdom, you can. You can. As God enables you, as God works in your heart, as you gaze at Christ and glance at the circumstances. Now let's see how that worked for Daniel. Look at verse number 2. In the first year of his reign, Darius, so this is a brand new king, this is a brand new ruler of Daniel who was basically a slave to this, to this group of people. He had risen up in power, but remember he had been stripped out of his homeland by the Babylonians and landed there in Babylonia, and now Babylonia has been attacked by the Medes and the Persians, and now they're ruling. So Daniel's tossed all over the place. Here got a brand new king. Watch what happens though. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. Now, Daniel is in a faith-challenged condition. He is in a faith-challenged condition. But I want to show you here not only what was challenging him, but what it is that encouraged him. Okay, we've already alluded to several things that were challenging him. The, the change that's occurring, okay? There's concern over his life. Remember Daniel chapter 6? The, the, Daniel chapter 6, the, the other leaders said, we cannot take out Daniel unless it has something to do with his God. So they go to Darius and they say, hey, pass this rule, Darius. Pass this rule. 
that if anybody prays to anybody else for 30 days, they die. And Darius was like, okay, yeah, I like prayer. I'll take that. So they passed the rule. And sure enough, they sneak into Daniel's bedroom, and what do they see? What do they see? There's Daniel praying. And now the leaders say, ha-ha, got him. Daniel's life is being threatened. You talk about a faith-challenging condition. There's change in the air, change of government. We don't like change, do we not? We don't like change. Change is happening. His his very life is, is, is really under concern now. There's concern about his life. We don't like that. It's happening. And there's even a conflict of culture. Now, I'm going to just take just a minute. If you didn't catch this, we skipped over Daniel chapter 8. Did you notice that? Oh, some of you were like, hey, wait about, what about chapter 8? I skipped over Daniel 8 from last week. Last week we did with Daniel chapter 7. I skipped over Daniel 8. Not that it's not the word of God. It certainly is. Let me just say a brief word about Daniel chapter 8. Okay? Daniel chapter 8, when Daniel wrote it, it was prophecy. But when you read it, it's history. Does that make sense? Daniel wrote this 400 years before it ever happened. We are reading it now over 2,000 years ago that it did happen. When Daniel wrote Daniel chapter 8, he was prophesying or, or telling us things that were going to occur hundreds of years later. And it's remarkable how correct it is. Let me just give you just a sample of it so you will trust the Word of God. Look at Daniel chapter 8. Look at verse number 21. Now, Daniel here has been given a vision, okay? But what we're going to look at here is his his interpretation of the vision. Look at Daniel chapter 21. Now, I told you, Darius is leading a kingdom. The name of that kingdom is the Persians, okay? He is a Persian. He is the, at this point, he's leading over the Persians. He's going to be replaced soon by a guy named Cyrus, but that's really not important for us right now. But he is leading the Persian kingdom. Daniel has this vision for what is coming. Verse number 21. Let's just read it for just a minute. And the goat in his vision is the king of Greece. And the great horn between his eyes is the first king. And for the horn that was broken, in place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall rise from his nation, but not with his power. And the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold face One who understands riddles shall arise. Now, I just want to just use those three verses just to to speak to you about the unbelievable nature of biblical prophecy. Daniel here is writing about the nation of Greece that several hundred years later would ride into Babylonia and attack the Persians, and they'd wipe them out. Now, there was a great leader of Greece. He, He was great. You might know his name. His name? Alexander. Verse 22 is speaking of him. A great leader, Alexander. He was was quick and and just basically conquered the known world in a very short amount of time. What you may not know about Alexander the Great is he actually died a very young man. He died a very young man. In his 30s, he died unexpectedly. And so because he died so young, there was no plan for the succession after he left who would take over. And so guess what happened? After Alexander's death, four leaders arose and ruled Greece. Now the power has been divided from one man into four, and they were unable to lead. What did that 
passage mentioned, how many kings would arise from this great leader? Four. After the Greeks would come the Romans. After the Romans, Jesus is on the scene. Now, I only wanted to show you that just briefly. Daniel 8 is filled with words that were prophecy when written, but now history when read. I just wanted to show you the the unbelievable nature of God's prophecy. And I want you to understand that Daniel is living in the midst of this. I told you, cultures are colliding. Change is occurring. His life is under concern. And cultures are colliding all around him. You see, God allowed him to see this guy named Antiochus. Antiochus was a later king. He rose up among the Greeks. And he he then made... The first holocaust was under this man, Antiochus. He called himself the Most High God. Outlawed all other religions. Outlawed Judaism. You circumcise your son, you die. You offer a sacrifice... As God described it, you die. You you pray to the Lord God, you die. Listen, conflicts have always been there when the man of God or the woman of God arrives. Do not be surprised. There is a kingdom of God. And every other kingdom, every other reign every other leader other than the Lord Jesus Christ and his men and his women conflict with him. And Daniel is in the midst of it. So I want you to see in verses 1 to 3, I mean, troubled times are here. Daniel's life is threatened, there is change occurring, and cultures are colliding. But where did Daniel go? Look at it. Read verses 1 to 3. Just run your eyes over it. Where did he go? In verse number 2, Daniel perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord of Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolation of Jerusalem. What is going on? Let me show you. Turn your Bible, okay? Turn over with me to Jeremiah chapter 25. See, what we have here is now we know what Daniel was reading in his devotions that morning. We know what Daniel was reading as he opened up God's Word. Daniel, like me and you, needed to be encouraged by God. Daniel's in a world that's changing. Daniel's life is being threatened. Daniel is experiencing a conflict of culture. He needs God's Word. So do I. So do you. So one morning, this particular morning, he's reading in Daniel chapter 25. I want you to see what it is that he must have been reading. Look at verse number 8. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts. Now, this is to to the people of Israel. Because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. Here's what Daniel is realizing this morning. Nebuchadnezzar was sent by God. What had Nebuchadnezzar done to Daniel? Captured him as a slave. And now he's realizing this is something that God is doing. God is doing this. God is allowing this Nebuchadnezzar, calls him his servant now, to come 
and strip Daniel from his home and bring him to Babylon. Now, this is a, this is a horrible thing for anyone to realize. He reads on. He says, I will bring them against this land and against its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror, a hissing, and an everlasting desolation. It's going to get bad. It's going to get bad, Daniel. I'm telling you, God is saying, it's going to be like a hissing snake. But, verse 11, this whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, God says, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Whoa. That's hope. Then, after seven years are completed, God says, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. And Daniel that morning, sitting there by his bedside, kneeling as he did three times a day, according to Daniel chapter 6, said, thank you, God. Thank you. You've encouraged my heart today. See, what we don't realize just from the casual reading of Daniel chapter 9 and Daniel chapter 6 is Daniel has been there. We know when Darius took over. We know the date when Nebuchadnezzar took Daniel captive. We know the date that that Darius took over the nation of, of Babylon. Guess how many years have passed? 66 years have passed. Almost 67 years have passed when Daniel reads this, and what does he now realize? It's coming to an end. It's going to end. This time of God's judgment is coming to an end. Praise God, Daniel says. I challenge you. As you look at the life of Daniel, when you see how God encouraged him, and we're going to read on and see more here how the Lord encouraged him, Do you seek after God through His Word in that way? When you're on a faith-challenged condition, are you running to the Word of God and saying, God, speak to me? Let me tell you, I was challenged one time in my life. Now, some of you would think this is kind of nerdy, but just bear with me, okay? There was a time in my life that I was very prideful about one thing. I could solve any math problem that existed. Go ahead and laugh. Let's get it over with. Okay, there. I could solve any math problem there was. And I was so full of pride about it. And the other teachers at the school where I taught would come and say, okay, Lowell, take this one. And there you go. Did it. Blow off the, you know, whatever. It's just me. But I came to a conclusion. I came to a realization. Because I could solve any math problem there was. And then I'd read God's word, and I'd be like, I ain't getting nothing out of that. I'd read Philippians 2, yeah, whatever. I didn't get anything out of that. And I realized this about myself. I was passionate about solving things of this world. I was passionate about about addressing problems that this world had to offer or situations of this world. But I wasn't nearly as passionate about God's Word. And I became convicted by that. And I said, you know what? If I can solve any math problem, I can understand Daniel chapter 8. 
If I can solve any math problem, I'm going to wrestle with Daniel chapter 9. How about you? I look around, some of you guys are so smart, I mean, it just, it just overflows out of you. Are you pursuing God and His Word in the same way? Daniel resorted to the promises of God. This week I reached out to ten godly men. Ten godly men. I said, hey, fellas, do me a favor. Daniel relied upon the promises of the Old Testament, the the Mosaic Covenant promises to bring him hope, to bring him encouragement. What do you lean on, godly man? What promises from God's Word do you hold on to? Tell me what they are. You want to know what they said? Remember Letterman's top ten? Well, here's Lowell's top ten. Okay, Go ahead and help me out there, Aaron. Go to that one slide. There it is. Here they are. In order. And I didn't turn around the other way. I should have, but I didn't. Okay, The number one answer that these ten godly men told me. Now, they weren't all exactly quotes. You know, I don't have ten quotes up here, but here's what they said. Number one thing that brings them encouragement when times are tough. That my sins are forgiven. 1 John 1, 9. I'm forgiven for Christ. That I have no condemnation in Christ. You might say, well, isn't that the same one and two? Not really. I hope to tell you why in just a few minutes. Number three, I'm encouraged these godly men told me because I am dwelt by the Spirit of God. God's Spirit lives in me. You should write these references down. You should know this. You should know this. You should chase after this like I used to an algebra problem, folks, and, and, and let it seep into your soul. These are the words of godly men. Number four, the promise of heaven. The promise of heaven that, that when I leave this earth, I'm going to be with the Lord. For me to die is gain, to live is Christ. That Jesus will never leave me. Hebrews 13, 5. God's unconditional love. Several of the men said, you know what, John 3, 16. Several of the godly men said, John 3, 16. Just simple as that. God's unconditional love. That Christ is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. That God knows best and He's working His plan in my life. Romans 8, 28. That I know Jesus is coming back. I look forward to it. He's coming back one day. And I am no longer a slave to sin. No. That slavery has been ended. There were many other answers, but I ran out of room on my screen. Okay? What are you leaning on, folks? All right, let's go back to the passage. Verse number three. The first point I wanted to make is that Daniel was in a faith-challenged condition. The second one, I want you to look at his prayer life. I want us to look at his prayer life. And and how did Daniel pray? How did Daniel pray? Now listen, prayer, I struggle with prayer. I struggle to teach on prayer. Let me tell you why. Because too many people believe or start thinking that prayer is like this secret sort of like rabbit's foot. And if you use the right words, if you say the right phrases, if you, know, if, if you just do the right things, I'll, I'll rub this genie or this magic you know, rabbit's foot and then God will work for me. That is not prayer. That is not prayer. Prayer is the dependent connection of, of the child of God with Jesus. That's what prayer is. It's a dependent connection of us together. But I want you to see, because God has recorded for us, what a godly man prays. What is a godly man? He's an old man now, folks. He's, I don't want to offend anybody, but he's definitely in his 70s. 
sorry. But he's up there, okay? He's up there. He's been there for 66 years. He came sometime in his teen years. So just add 13 to 66, see what you get. That's his age. But let's see what he prays. Verse 3, I turn my face to the Lord of God, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments. We have sinned. And done wrong. And acted wickedly. And rebelled. Turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. The thing that strikes me is Daniel's prayer, godly as he was, mature as he was, started with confession. It started with confession. Now, what's the word confess mean? The word confess literally means say the same thing as. That's what the word confess means. It means to say the same thing as. And Daniel starts his prayer out as this mature man of God with two types of confession, and I want, you to sh- I want to show them to you because they, our prayer life should be characterized by these things. Okay? The first thing he, he confesses is I would call it a confession of allegiance. A confession of allegiance. Notice what he says. I prayed to the Lord my God, the name of God, and I made confession and I said, O oh Lord, he's praying the name of God. He's crying out to the God of the universe. There's only one. And so in Daniel's prayer is a confession of allegiance. You are God. And that word Lord there is actually the word that means master or boss or ruler. You rule is what he's saying. He is confessing that. Listen, our prayer life should be characterized by a confession of allegiance to God. You are my God. You are my king. You rule my life. You bought me with a price. I'm no longer a slave to sin. You're coming back to get me. I'm going to be in heaven. You love me with unconditional love. Your ways are best. There's no condemnation for me. All my sins are forgiven. I just said one through ten. Did you catch them? One through ten. Right there they were. This is the confession of our heart. Mine is to confess his name. Okay? He confesses more than that. Notice what he says. O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him. He now is speaking to the very character of God. Not just His name. Not just His name, but His character. His character. He uses a word there. ESV translates it, steadfast love. Your Bible may say mercies. Okay? 
It may say his, his uh, there's a lot of things it can say, mercy, steadfast love, the, all kinds of different ways, holiness. There's different ways we try to take this, this Hebrew word and express what it is. But that word steadfast love is this. It's the covenant-keeping love of God. His loyal love with His children. This is the kind of love that God has with His child. With those who are in Christ. That no matter what may come, no matter what comes your way, you will always be His son if you're in Christ. You cannot outrun the mercy of God. He loves you new every single morning. He does not give up hope. There will not be a day where God looks at you and says, you are no longer my son. You are no longer my daughter. This is the steadfast love of our God. And I claim allegiance to Him. And so did Daniel that day. So did Daniel. Leaning on his promises, leaning on his character. Then in verse 5, that's not the only confession that Daniel shares. Now Daniel, after a confession of allegiance, now Daniel proceeds into a confession of sin. And I want to show you two things here, and and they're very important. Please hear this, okay? Verse number 5. Six different ways he talks about sin. We have sinned, We've done wrong, we've acted wickedly, rebelled, turned aside from your commandments and your rules. Six different things that Daniel is identifying that there is guilt in his life over these things. Now that is important in our relationship with God to deal with the guilt that we have. Because even Daniel, the mature man of God that he is, recognizes that he falls short of the glory of God. You and I must when we come to the Lord in this dependent relationship, yes, you deal with your sin. I've had people ask me, say, Lo, how long have you been saved? I'm like, I don't know, like 30 years or something like that. Oh, okay. As you get older, does it get easier to live for Christ? Does sin become further away Is it easier to make the righteous decision? I want to be honest with you. Sometimes yes. Often no. Often no. In reality, I find that when I am particularly close to the Lord, I mean, that doesn't even make sense. I'm in Christ. How can I be close? But when I feel the intimacy of God greater, I'm aware of my sin all the more. Things will come back to me that I said or thought days ago. And I realized, God, that that wasn't you. That was my flesh. That's where Daniel is. He confesses this sin. And most of us, when we think about sin, that's what we think about. We think about guilt. We think about a thing that I did that was wrong. You know, a lie that I told, a a thing that I did, uh, something that I took. We think of an action that I took, and and I have guilt over that. And you are right to take that to God. But that's not the only thing Daniel confessed. Jump with me at verse number 7. Not only does he confess his guilt, 
Verse number 7. He confesses something else. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness. But to us, open shame. Shame. He's going to use that word three times in this chapter. Shame. That's not a word we use very often, at least not correctly. You should be ashamed, my mom would say to me, right? You should be ashamed of yourself, Mickey. Eat your lunch or whatever. I mean, what does that even mean, right? In reality, shame, though, listen, listen, here's what it is. Shame is less about what you do. It's more about who you are. Guilt is what we do. I lied. I'm guilty for that. I confess it to you as sin, Lord. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us from our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I did wrong. I confess it to you. Okay, it's dealt with. But that's not the only confession that's needed. Daniel here is confessing over shame. Shame is about my identity. That's why I said, the second on the list, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know what this is? Daniel is pointing us to this truth. When you come to Christ, when you come to God for forgiveness... It's not that He forgives you of all those dirty, rotten things that you did alone. That's not the only thing that God does. He doesn't just have this list of things that you did and say, okay, I'll deal with those at the cross. Our problem was worse than that, folks. Our problem was worse than that. Our very identity was wrong. Who we are is sinful. So Daniel here is is openly confessing not just that he did wrong, but that he is wrong apart from God. And folks, that's how we're all born. We're not born doing wrong. You're born doing nothing. But you're born sinner, just like me. Our very identity is what had to be dealt with. And Daniel understood that. And that's the part that as I mature in Christ, I feel greater. Before Jesus, I was so wicked and I didn't even know it. I didn't even know it. Outside of Christ, I was so corrupt and I didn't even know it. Paul said it this way. Jesus Christ died for sinners of which I, Paul writing, am chief. First place. I'm number one. Line up behind me. I'm leading the way. I'm the king of all sinners, Paul says. Folks, this is what grace is. And our prayer life, when we... Not what you pray out here in front of people. Not what you pray when, you know, Lowell gives you the mic and says, hey, pray for dinner. Oh God, thank you for food. Not that kind of prayer life. I mean the prayer life of your heart now. Of your heart. Daniel was a confession of allegiance. God, you are mine. I will gaze at you. I am yours. I'm in Christ. A confession of sin. Apart from you, I can do nothing but wicked. And he prayed a lot more, but I'm out of time.
But we can start there. I'm going to close with this passage. It's not the one I have for the screen. Go to your Bible to 1 John chapter 3. Music team, I do want to sing a song here today. If you guys don't mind, you can work your way up here. I want to close there with 1 John chapter 3. Verse number 1. Let's read it as they come up to lead us. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we shall be called children of God. And so we are. That is my identity. Shame is gone. To I am in Christ. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. The culture is going to conflict. It's going to happen. We're we're going to feel the desperate need that we have for God. Beloved. That means loved by God. Loved by God. We are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Because we shall see Him as He is is. Let your prayer life be marked by one thing, that you see God as He is. Amen.